Good morning. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, the book of Second Kings and chapter four. Second Kings and chapter four. We left last week with uh, Elisha becoming the prophet instead of Elijah. And that's the main character development we, we, we would have to conclude with for Elisha. We will continue to look at him for the next couple of weeks, but he's not going to be the center of the plot. Center of the plot will change. And today it will be a nameless person, a person whose name is not given at all, even though she's mentioned both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, she was perhaps one of those that was behind the scene, and yet God wanted to bring something out of her and have us look at her. He wanted us to see something about this woman. And as we talked about it in the, the beginning of this series, the purpose is really to apply it to ourselves. God put things in the Old Testament and then he took the time in the New Testament to point us back, take a good look at the examples you see because I want you to learn from them. And so here we have an example for us in a nameless woman. We'll call her the Shunammite because she came from the city of Shunem. We'll start Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she constrained him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by that he turned in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. We'll stop there for now. So the first thing we notice about this woman is she's showing care to Elisha. She's taking care of his needs. She is providing food for him. She's providing uh, lodging for him uh, later on. Well, well, why is she doing it? We have to do, in a sense, a little bit of reading between the lines. What is it that steered this woman to do that? And really, the uh, best example I go to uh, for this is Lydia. I don't know if you remember Lydia from the New Testament, but she was in Macedonia, and Paul comes around, and he finds there and some women uh, worshiping uh, God in some... some uh, form of Judaism, and he tells her about Jesus and what Jesus did for her. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to receive the things spoken to her by Paul. She believed the message of the gospel. And it says she was baptized. And after that, she says, and when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. It's the same word that pulled me to look at Lydia. The word constraint. So she was blessed by Paul. She received the blessing of the gospel. And she felt a desire in her heart to be a blessing to Paul. Paul was a newcomer in town. He had no provision. She wanted to help to provide for him. Uh, it was simple. It was probably the same case with the Shunammite. Uh, Elisha, you have to remember, is serving God in a spiritual wilderness. Israel has turned away from the Lord and is generally now following Baal instead. Jezebel is still the queen, even, even though Ahab has died. And uh, 
this woman would have been raised in that environment, but then she comes under the influence of Elisha. He was probably doing some sort of a circuit around, again, filling the shoes of Elijah and preaching the message of salvation of the Lord. It was, the Christ wasn't there at the time, but it was still trying to, to turn people from Baal to the Lord. Actually, the name Elisha literally means, my God is salvation. And uh, he, if he received the message, most likely was saved. If she was already saved, she was greatly encouraged as a result of his ministry, and now she wanted to provide something for him. And I think it's good for us to think about that, the example of showing uh, appreciation uh, to the Lord, or love to the Lord. Uh, and, and to help us, encourage us in that direction, I wanted to take a look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. You may want to keep your finger or piece of paper in Second Kings, because we will turn there back again. But Philippians chapter 4, the letter of the Philippians, as a friend of mine once said, is basically a thank you letter. Obviously, there's a lot more in there than thank you, but uh, the, the uh, saints in Philippi sent a gift to Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And it's in response to that gift that Paul is responding with this letter. Um, and in this particular section, he's now touching this particular subject, the fact he received this gift or care from them. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well in that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, you see here, as Paul's receiving the gift, he's first of all telling them, thank you, really appreciate they thought of him in Rome, and in those days, the prison system, you weren't provided for by the uh, prison system. You were provided for by your friends and family, which means if nobody would send Paul this assistance, he will go hungry, he will go cold, he could even die destitute in prison. And so they sent him a very practical gift, and yet Paul, Paul rejoices in it, and yet he emphasizes not how, you know, boy, I'm really comfortable now, boy, things were really bad before, and thanks so much. He's appreciative of that, but he tells them, you know, I'm content either way, but I'm so glad you sent it because I know this will result in fruit to you guys. I know God appreciates it. And in fact, he says it uh, uh, toward the end there. It says, uh, at the end of verse 18, he says that what they sent to him was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. God appreciated it. I think sometimes uh, we... We are uh, 
not as eager to give to the Lord because we don't think the Lord needs it. We don't think, you know, well, the Lord, he's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need, you know, my uh, two pennies or whatever it is that I have to contribute to him. But it's not the value of the gift. It's not the value of the gift that the Philippians gave. God could have provided for Paul. He provided for two million people in the desert for 40 years. I think he can take care of Paul in his prison cell for you know, a few days, weeks, or months, or years that Paul might be there. But this was a, a gesture of love, and that's what made it meaningful, meaningful to the Lord. He could, tell, he could see the hearts of the Philippians, and he could tell that this was a way that they were showing appreciation, love to Paul, and love to God for what God has given to them. And that's why it was precious in his sight. We try to encourage our, our daughters as we're uh, training them and teaching them uh, to to do things for others. And there's not a lot that they can give to others. I mean, the, everything they have, we give them. Uh, but uh, we, we decided at some point to teach them to, uh, to color drawings. I mean, they, they didn't need our help to learn to color drawings, but to give it to other people. So they'll color a drawing, and it may not look that impressive to you, but my daughter might give it to you, and it'll be her way to show you that she loves you. Now, the drawing by itself may not be so nice, but it's what's behind it that can't. I have in my cubicle, in the wall of the cubicle, a drawing from my daughter. And uh, it says, uh, to daddy, love, your daughter, Ellie. Wasn't spelled quite right. <laughs> but, but it's the, the message that was in there. The fact that she wanted to give me something. She wanted me to know that she loved me. That meant so much for me. And that's why it's sitting on my cubicle and I look at it. And it's the same thing with the Lord. It's not that... What I give to the Lord is something that he really needs or something so special. Everything I have, he gave me. But by me giving him something shows him that I love him. And uh, it's neat to see, see the Shunammite uh, uh, doing it. And, and the first thing was providing food for him. And then he would come by. And then it's like she's creative. She's thinking of new ways of doing it. She talks to her husband, hey, let's, let's build another room addition to their house. I don't need it as an extra office or a sewing room for me, but it'll be really neat if we can bless this man of God. And uh, that's the way we should be. We should be looking for ways of how to use what God has given us, whether it's financial, resources, or time, or skills, or talents, in some way to give it to the Lord's use, some way to, to bless God with it, to show God that we love him. Let's pick up in uh, Second Kings. Chapter 4 and verse 11. And it happened one day that he came there, that is Elisha, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he, and he said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. And the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. 
All right, so here we have uh, Elisha moved, I believe, believe completely by the Lord, by appreciation for everything this woman has done for him. And he wants uh, to reward her and give her something. Now, it might confuse you that he's calling Gehazi and he's asking Gehazi to do this and Gehazi to do that. Gehazi is a disciple in training. Okay, He's trying to train Gehazi to, to learn to do the work of the Lord. It's not that uh, Elisha doesn't want to interact with her directly. In fact, the important thing is everything Elisha does himself. But he wants to train and get Gehazi involved in the work of the Lord. And that's why he's asking him questions and telling him to call her and say things to her, etc. Okay, so don't let that distract you. Think about it as Elisha talking to her. And uh, Elisha is basically making her an offer. What, what can I give you? What do you want me to give you? Uh, it's interesting. God made an offer like that once to uh, Solomon. He, he said, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon said, I just want wisdom to rule your people. And God was so pleased with that. He said, I'll give you that, and I'm going to give you wealth, and I'm going to give you you know, peace, and, and all these other things that people want. But really, he delighted that Solomon wanted the right thing, the thing that was according to God's own heart. It's interesting, Elisha actually first makes a suggestion. He asks her, what do you want? And then he specifically says, you want me to talk to the king about you, the, to the commander of the army? We might wonder, you know, who's Elisha and why can he talk to the king and the commander of the army? Well, we skip chapter 3. In chapter 3, Elisha delivers uh, Israel and their armies from uh, being destroyed in the desert. They, they went to the desert to fight against some king and they uh, didn't consult the Lord or seek the Lord and the Lord was going to let them perish in the wilderness. Uh, but they, they, they call Elisha and Elisha stands up and he does a miracle so water comes and takes care of them. So he basically saved the army. The king knows it, the general knows it. They owe Elisha big time. So if Elisha really wants to, he could really you know, push her up in the world. She can become a person that the king knows and the general knows and would have a lot of influence in the little town of Shunem from that point on. But it, interesting to note, she's not interested in that. Uh, her answer is that I dwell among my own people. I'm not interested in being known outside of here. I'm not interested in being elevated. I'm not interested in the things that this world has to offer me, is basically uh, her answer. And uh, that's great. I have, uh, I'll just read it. But uh, Paul says this in First uh, Timothy. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This world has a lot to offer us, or it tries to offer us a lot of things, uh, be it uh, career, or be it property, or be it fame among people. There's a lot of things that appeal to us, appeal to the flesh. And yet, uh, Paul summarizes it good, we can't take anything with us. None of the things that this world offers us really have an eternal value. And it's really to our harm when we go after the things. That's what Paul says. Some people strayed from the faith, pushed themselves through with many errors. People, uh, believers who become interested in the things that the world has to offer will suffer as a result. And he says the opposite in the beginning. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a great gain not to be interested in everything that the world has to offer us. We need some things. We need food. We need clothing. But we don't need a lot more than that. God, God has us taken care of. But, uh, so that's important. So the first thing she does is she rejects what the world has to offer. 
And uh, it seems that this is what Elisha has been waiting for. That was really his first offer, but it wasn't the very best for her. Uh, it's interesting also that she doesn't ask for anything after that. And it might, it might help us appreciate what's going on here behind the scene. There is something that this woman really wants. There is something that, in a sense, would do, would do her a lot of good. But she's gone past the point of asking for it. She's reached the point she's no longer even asking for this thing. She's, she, she's putting it behind us. She, she wanted it for so long that she, she gave up and she'd rather forget about it and not be disturbed by it. And so she's not asking for it. Well, I'm sure Alicia knows what it is, but again, he asked Gehazi. He's trying to get Gehazi into the conversation here. Gehazi notices the obvious. Yes, she has no son. And so Alicia calls her back to him. And now she knows what's going on. She knows he wants to give me something or he wants to offer me something because he just did and she left. And now she's coming back. It, it's neat to me, the word of God, how you have these just little tidbits in there. It's, before it says she came, she stood before him. Now she stops at the door. She's not even entering into the room because of, of what's going on inside of her. And Alicia tells her, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. That's what she's been wanting and longing for. And again, her answer is, No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. She wanted this thing so badly for so many years. She's, just, she's, she's afraid of putting her hands around it again. It's like uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They've been praying for a child for so many years that an angel from heaven shows up and tells them they'll have a son. It's like, you know, how shall I know this thing is true? I'm not going home and telling my wife we're going to have a son. Okay, I need some evidence here. Okay, you have your evidence. You know, you can't, you're not going to be able to speak from now on. <laughs> you know, you should believe what God says. But, uh, but you could understand after so many years of, of wanting something and finally putting it down, not wanting that being raised again. Well, God knows that's what she wants, and he gives her that very thing that she wants. Uh, and, and it is, uh, we often don't appreciate it in this day and age. People are, are not typically interested in kids so much. When I was in college, they had this phrase called uh, DINKS, which stands for double income, no kids, which means you have a lot more money, you can go out, you can you know, have fun, do whatever you want to do without any sense of responsibility or any drain on your financial resources. It really shows what people are these days. They're not, this gift that God has given us of children, they don't think is really valuable. They're much rather trying to uh, satisfy their flesh with all the things that this world has to offer. And uh, without going too much into it, uh, this is really perhaps a more special gift to, uh, to women or to mothers than it is uh, to fathers. But uh, in, in God's order and design of things, uh, he gave men the responsibility to minister in a public fashion. Uh, we have the responsibility to take the stand on Sunday and, and speak and, and teach uh, the saints. And to uh, uh, women or mothers, God gave the responsibility of raising up the next generation. And uh, the verse that pertains to that, one of the less popular verses in these days, uh, is, Nevertheless, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, in love, and holiness with self-control. What, what God is talking about being saved isn't the being saved from hell. It's, it's having her value being saved. Her value, uh, uh, a mother's value is, is perfectly preserved with the responsibility that God has given her to raise the next generation. Without that, women doing that job or mothers doing that job, this world will just start falling apart, which in fact it is. Right? Largely because of this new sense we have, really the teaching uh, that this world is teaching women, oh, you really don't need to stay at home 
train your children, you should go out and get a job, you'll have a lot more satisfaction and you know, you'll, you'll do a lot better for everybody. Well, that's not true. God's plan was really for women to raise the next generation. And, and God is giving her the opportunity to do that. By giving her a son, it's not just fulfilling this uh, uh, feminine instinct of wanting to hold babies that I know women have, but it's, it's really the complete fulfillment involved with having, being able to raise the son, the son that God is giving her. It says uh, in the Bible that every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. When God gives a gift, it's perfect. God, God gave her a gift. That gift was perfect for her. That was exactly what she needed, exactly what she wanted, the very best thing for her. And... Uh, just as we're trying to apply these things to us, a thought came to my mind, well, what's God's gift to us? Well, Jesus once said this. Yeah, he, told, uh, he talked to the woman of the well. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who, who is, uh, said this to you, asked you to give him a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. And we talked about that a little bit last week, the wi- living waters. God wanting there to be living waters coming out of us is really talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. God is, has given us the Holy Spirit and I thought all the influences of the Holy Spirit in our life uh, to, to know God, to become conformed to the image of Christ, to be a blessing to other people around us. That's the gift of God. And uh, what we need to have straight in our mind is what she had straight in her mind is have want the right kind of gift. Uh, she didn't want what the world had to offer her. She did want what God had to offer her. And we should be the same. Want that gift that God is giving to us. Let's continue in verse 18. So the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there is the Shunammite woman. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, She caught him by the the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me, and has not told me. And she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready, and take my staff in your hand, and be on your way. If you meet anyone... Do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, 
and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed several time, seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Well, uh, it seems like the very worst happened. God gave her the gift, the perfect gift, and she lost it. She lost the perfect gift of God. She lost her son. And uh, the wonderful thing at the end, of course, we see her son is restored to her. But in order to rightly interpret this passage, we'll have to turn to the New Testament because we'll find a little bit about her that might help us understand what's happening. So turn to the book of Hebrews, to chapter 11. And as most of you know, Hebrews 11 is considered to be the, uh, what is it, the whole fame of faith? Is that how you say it? Whole fame? Fame of all? Hall of fame? Hall of fame? <laughs> Hall of faith. Hall of faith, okay. Hall of faith, meaning all the great acts of faith in the Old Testament are recorded in this chapter, really to encourage us in our faith. And uh, right there, let's see if you can catch it. We're, we're going to not start in verse 1, we'll start in verse 32. And so, see if you can find this woman in there. Sorry, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not willing, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. All right, anybody found this woman in here? All right, that's right. It says there in the beginning of verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. So what that tells us is that was a great act of faith. was a great act of faith. Uh, right along with all the other great acts of faith that are recorded in this passage. And uh, we know she must be included in that verse because there's only two women in the Old Testament that uh, had their children raised from the dead and it uses the plural form here. So it must include her as well. And in fact, she really displayed a lot more faith than uh, the other woman, which, by the way, had her son raised by Elijah. So that was Elijah. This is a woman that had her son raised by Elisha. An act of faith. What does it mean that this was by faith? For something to be done by faith means you must have a revelation from God to act by. 
It doesn't mean wishing something. Now, there's nothing wrong with wishing for something and asking God to do something. I don't want to discourage people from, from praying. I had my own experience where uh, uh, we were told, the story I've told before, uh, that our daughter was going to have a serious problem with hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus is a disease uh, or a, a condition where you have a plug in, in the drainage system in the brain that drains your, uh, what they call the brain fluid. You have a fluid that basically acts as a shock absorber around your brain, inside your skull. That keeps your, your brain from getting too rattled when you're moving your head around. Well, it continuously makes the fluid and continually drains. And if you have a, a clog in the drainage, the fluid doesn't know where to go, and it basically starts increasing the pressure in your head, and it will uh, basically compress your brain uh, to the point that you could die or lose vision or have other serious uh, problems. And, and uh, so obviously, Sean and I were very upset by that, and we brought the matter before the saints and asked the saints to pray, and we prayed. And uh, the Lord answered our prayer. We had a daughter born that had no problems, and we called her Eliana because uh, Eliana means my God has answered. I believe God answered our prayer. So by all means, go and seek God in prayer. But this woman had a specific revelation. Okay, God told her, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you a son. Well, God said she was going to have a son, and now her son died. Well, I can see a person arguing, saying, well, God gave you a son. You know, he's not responsible that the son died, and it's true. The death of the son does come uh, from the general problems we have in this world, which are the result of our sin. Death and all the suffering we have in this world are not God's fault. They're our fault. We rebelled against God. We sinned against him, and death has entered in. But uh, she recognized that there's a problem. She recognized this is not what God gave her. She knew that the gift that God gave her was perfect. He gave her a son, not just to hold a baby in her arms or you know, a, a young youth, he gave her a son for all the blessings that are included in a son, which included training him, uh, seeing him mature, seeing him as a, a man of God, serving the Lord in this wilderness, spiritual wilderness, and uh, providing for her in her old age and being the joy of, her, of her, or the light of her life in her old age. All of that was included in God's promise. You know, she wasn't going to give up. That's what God has promised her. She was holding on to that. And now he was dead. So this is where faith has to come in. Wait a second. God said, I'm going to have this, and now he's dead. Well, there's two possibilities. Either God was lying to me, or God is going to bring him to life. And she believed that God was going to bring him to life. And if this seems to you like an incredible type of reasoning, it's okay, because uh, if you're still in Hebrews 11, I, I turned away from it, but uh, if you're still at Hebrews 11... You just need to move to verse 17, and you'll see that kind of reasoning working by faith. Verse 17, uh, Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative, figurative sense. So here was Abraham. God gave him promises about Isaac. He said, to this son, Isaac, I'm going to give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. All right, a little bit later, God says, okay, take Isaac. I'd like you to offer him to me as a burnt offering, which means kill him. Well, there's a problem. Wait a second. He hasn't had any kids yet. How is God going to fulfill his promise? Abraham reasoned that if he would kill Isaac, God will raise him from the dead because God will keep his word. 
And that's, that's effectively what this woman was doing. She was believing God. Well, God promised me this, this son, and I know God will keep his word, so I'm going to believe that God will raise him from the dead. As incredible as it seems, that was the type of faith that she had. All right, so back to Second uh, King 4. Look at all the ways in which her faith is now manifested. Because that's really the, the reason we have all of this uh, long section in the chapter. Okay, She could have believed and God could have raised the sun right there. Or Elisha could have next knocked on the door and said that God told me what happened. I came here to raise your boy. You know, thanks for believing God. Well, God didn't do that. Okay, she had quite a distance to come. First of all, there's a problem. Her son is dead. If anybody finds out about it, they'll try to bury him. Because in those days, there was no refrigeration, and you had to bury it. As soon as somebody died, you had to bury them. They'll start uh, rotting. The, the, according to the law, they had to be buried in 24 hours. Okay, first thing she does, she has to hide her son. She puts him on the bed of the, uh, man, of, uh, the, the man of God, or Elisha, and, and closes the door over there. Okay, then she needs transportation because uh, Elisha, he must have passed relatively recently because she knew exactly where to find him. He's on Mount Carmel. Well, Mount Carmel happened to be 10, 15 miles away. And uh, she might have been a little on the old elderly side or delicate side. She couldn't cover the distance herself. She needed transportation to go there to Elisha. So she asked her husband. Well, obviously, her husband, her husband wants to know why. Why are you going to him? And I'm wondering if her husband was wondering about the condition of the boy. He just sent his boy sick, and now she wants to go to the prophet. You know, why do you want to go? Okay, and, and listen to those words. Everything is okay. It is well. Could you say that? In that? Her son was lying dead in the house, and she's saying everything is okay, because she believed. She believed God would raise him from the dead. She just merely needed to go and get Elisha to come and bring him back, back for life. She believed it was going to happen. But she had to get through this Difficulty with her husband. Everything is okay. Okay, it was, because God was going to raise him from the dead. Before her husband was home, her son was back breathing and living and healthy. Uh, she goes on and meets Gehazi and uh, tells him the same thing. She comes to Eli- Elisha and she falls at his feet and grabs his feet. And in fact, Gehazi is so disturbed by this that he's trying to push her away. And uh, Elisha doesn't tell him to stop and says, no, I, I can tell there's something wrong here. <laughs> Don't push her away. Now, it's interesting to me this, that the Lord, that Elisha specifically says, the Lord has hidden it for me. I don't know what's going on. And the fact that Elisha says this means this was an unusual occurrence for Elisha. Usually, he knew exactly what was going on. God said, go here, do this. Go here, do that. Elisha is out of his element here. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Okay, and there's a reason. God hasn't told him. Well, there's a question. Why hasn't God told Elisha what was going on? And, and really, through the rest of the passage, why is Elisha having such a hard time raising this poor boy to life? It's not a hard thing for God to do. Okay, God could have raised this boy anyway. He sends Gehazi. Gehazi goes with his uh, staff, lays it on the son's face. He did exactly what Elisha told him to do. The son doesn't come back to life. Elisha goes there himself. He lays himself on the boy. He prays firstly. The son doesn't come back to life. His skin, he, the signs of, of the things are getting better. He, he walks around the house. Finally, he comes back, lies on him again, and he, and he finally comes back uh, from, from uh, the dead. And there might have been things God was working with on Elisha here. I don't know exactly what was the purpose, but clearly, God was doing something unusual here. And uh, 
the unusual thing he was doing was really revealing the faith of this woman. There were really all these hindrances that were revealing her faith. It reminded me of a story in the, the, in the Gospel. I don't know if you remember. Uh, Jesus walks out uh, right outside the borders of Israel. He's, he's been kind of rejected by, by the Jews and he's, he's a little off outside the, the border. And a Syrophoenician woman comes and says, you know, my daughter is, is a severely demon-possessed. Please heal her. The Lord answers nothing. He keeps walking with his disciples. And the woman says, didn't you hear me? My daughter, <laughs> she is severely demon-possessed. Come and do something. And eventually the disciples are like, Lord, just send her away. She's following us. She's bothering us. They can understand. Of course, Jesus wouldn't want to have anything to do with a Gentile. But, you know, he needs to get her to go away. Well, Jesus, that's the last thing in Jesus' mind. You know, he loves her. He knows what, what's going on. And, and interesting, he turns to her and he, he presents her an argument against him healing her. He says, I was sent for the lost sheep of Israel. You know, it's not proper to take the food that's designed for the children and give it to the little dogs, the puppies, under the table. I mean, you know, that God designed it for them. Should I take it from them and give it to somebody else? And, and uh, she, you know, worships him and says, even, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children's table. I just, I just want the crumbs. Basically, she, she, she persists after him. He puts all these barriers, and when she finishes, he says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. You know, be it to you even as you desire. And it says from that hour, her daughter was healed. Okay, Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew the faith that this woman had, and he wanted to reveal it. Okay, he wanted her faith to be seen. Faith, by the way, is something that God enjoys. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's part of our basic relationships in between each other. If I'm to have any kind of a meaningful relationship with you, there has to be faith. If you don't trust me, if I don't trust you, we can't have any meaningful relationship. Faith is what what really allows us to have a relationship with the Lord. That's what he enjoys. And so he revealed that woman's faith, and he's revealing here the faith of the Shunammite uh, woman. And really for us all to see. This is, this is uh, if you would, for her glory. This is her signature. God wanted us to see the kind of faith that this woman had in him. All right. How do we apply that uh, to ourselves? I remember when I uh, was being discipled with Rick, we used to meet... At, uh, after the, the main meeting, at, uh, uh, after lunch or before lunch at his house. And uh, that what, one particular day, he, he preached with particular power. And uh, I complimented him when we were meeting upstairs, I mean, uh, at his house. And uh, he told me that uh, after the breaking of bread, so it was, must have been a reverse schedule day at that time, he felt uh, dry or empty, and he went... He went upstairs and he cried out to the Lord, really for, for the sake of the saints, to, to, uh, to give him power to preach or to preach uh, the message that the Lord had for him. And then Rick urged me and said, the Lord wants you to go to him in boldness and, and acclaim or pray and ask for the things that you need. And I was thinking, well, that kind of sounds kind of strange. I'm not going to go to God and tell God what he needs to give me. And... And yet, this is exactly what this woman did, if you think about it. She goes to Elisha with such boldness and grabs hold of his feet. And even after he sends Gehazi to help her, she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm not letting go until you're coming with me. I mean, that was pretty bold of her to do. Think of the Syrophoenician woman going after uh, the Lord Jesus, you know, continuing to call after him. That's a bold thing to do when it's the Lord. And yes, 
that is what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to believe in him. Uh, <clears throat> uh, maybe about six months ago, I think I, I mentioned this to a, before, my company was bought by a different company, and they were going through, uh, what would you call it, consolidation? <laughs> Which means uh, people were letting go left and right. And my company at the time was probably 60 people, now we're about 25 people. And uh, I was feeling very uncomfortable about uh, my position at the time, which I guess is understandable. And uh, I remember one night I was lying there, and uh, I had a hard time sleeping. And with that, was mainly I was thinking about work, and maybe my position at work, or things related to my security at work. And it bothered me. And I'm like, Lord, I shouldn't be here worrying about my job. I need to be trusting in you. This is not the life of a believer. A believer in the Lord is completely provided for. You're going to take care of me. Why am I here worrying about my job? And yet I couldn't help it. There I was, being concerned about my work. And I, I got out of our bed, which I don't do often because I'm very comfortable in bed. But uh, I was bothered enough, and I, I, I went to my living room and knelt, knelt on the couch and started praying to the Lord. And I said... Uh, Lord, I'm not living until you give me what I need. And that's exactly what the Lord was waiting for. And, and the Lord gave me peace. And that's, there's a few times in my life where I just, there was a special closeness, a special encouragement of the Lord. And that was one of those few times. And if we don't do that, going back to applying it to ourselves and thinking about the gift that the Lord has given us, it could be that you're sitting here or you're walking your daily life and you're always completely full of the Spirit, uh, completely enjoying fellowship with the Lord, completely seeing God using you to work in the lives of others, and there's absolutely no need to you know, pray this kind of prayer. But if you're not, there's only two reasons not to pray like that to the Lord. Number one, you may not believe the fullness of the blessing that He's given you. You might be like the woman who had a son, and her son died and said, well, I guess that was it. That's all the Lord had for me. He wanted me to have that baby in my arms for some time. He wanted me to have a little boy for a few years. And I enjoyed him. And now he's dead. But I guess that was it. That's all the Lord had for me. Just uh, a little bit of uh, sunshine in my life. And from now on, my life will be dark again. He could have stopped right there. But she said, no. This is not the gift of God. And that's what you have to say if you're not experiencing the fullness of the Spirit and all the life that God has promised you. You have to stop and saying, if I'm going to believe God, I'm going to have to say, this is not the gift of God that I'm experiencing. For you to say, this is all that God has given me, means you don't believe what the Scripture has said about what God has given us. Well, the other thing that could stop you from praying that prayer is not believing that God can do anything about it. And uh, that woman could have believed that too. She had her dead son. She could have said, well, you know, I know God meant for me to have more. And I must have made a mistake somewhere. And my son died. But now he's dead. What can be done? I can't do anything about it. Alicia can't do anything about it. He's dead. That's it. It's the end. And, uh, but she didn't. She believed God can raise him from the dead. So if we believe that God can take me in my state. And uh, granted, 
a lot of time when I don't enjoy all that God has for me, it is my fault. I have sinned. I have grieved the Spirit. I have done, been walking in ways that, that have driven, so to speak, or caused me to stumble from the life that He wants me to have. And yet for me, to not come to Him and ask for the life that He promised means I don't believe He can do it. If I believe God can take me and give me the fullness of the life He designed me to have, what's keeping me? What's keeping me? If I, if I appreciate what that life is, and I appreciate that God can still give it to me, there's no reason I should not come to him. And in fact, the only reason not to come to him shows a lack of faith on my side. And uh, let me encourage you, as I encourage myself, seek the fullness of the Spirit. Lay hold of God. Do what this woman has done. Lay hold of, of God and say, I'm not leaving until I have everything that you promised me to have. And you will have everything God promised you to have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we believe your promised blessing. Uh, we believe that uh, no eyes has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind conceived all the things that God has prepared for them who love him. And yet you say you have revealed those things to us by the Spirit. These are things we can enjoy now in our daily life. Lord, Help us have the faith that this woman has in uh, cleaving to you and holding on to you until we have everything that you want us to have in Christ. For we ask these things in his name. Amen.